0: Hey friends, this is Josh Blair. I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that the message you hear today will encourage you, inspire you, and help you walk closer with Jesus this week. We're going to dive into, uh, into where Mark begins in uh, chapter 1, verse 1, but if you read the other Gospels, you'll, you'll see where they start. So if you, look at, if you look at Gospel of Luke, he starts with the birth of John the Baptist, because John the Baptist is presented as the one who prepares the way for Jesus, right? So he starts with that, the birth of John the Baptist first. If you look at Matthew, he goes even further back. He does a genealogy of Jesus, taking it all the way back to Adam from the very beginning, and relates it back so that Jesus is the second Adam. The first Adam messed up, the second Adam, he's going to get it all together, right? So he goes all the way back. John, when he presents it, he goes it back before the beginning of the beginning of time and takes it back to Jesus is the Word of God. Jesus is God. He takes it from the very beginning. But Mark, he doesn't, he doesn't do all that. Mark, he's got an urgency about his gospel. The way he writes it, he's like, hey, hey, guess what? There's some important information, and you need it right now. I'm going to give it to you straight. It's going to slap you in the face. You're going to have to deal with it. This is how Mark writes the gospel. I love Mark's presentation of the message of Jesus because he just cuts straight to the chase and it's not to say that the other writers and the other gospel accounts are wasting time they're not because they're giving us information we need but Mark is like he's the first one out the gate man and he's he's like a he's like a young colt uh, I don't know anything about horse racing but I just feel like the young ones are faster and so he's the one out there just breaking through right he's he's a mutter and uh, I don't know if that term's right either he's a mutter and a fodder that's an old that's an old uh, joke but um but Mark is the one out out of the gates first, and he's just like, i got to give it all to you. I've got to give you all the information as fast as I can. And so he jumps into the gospel, and, and Mark, he, he starts just presenting the good news of who Jesus is by, by telling us straight off the bat that Jesus is the Messiah. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just says, Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, which is, which is Hebrew for Christ. We know, we know Jesus Christ. Christ is the, the Greek terminology of Savior, Jesus, the Savior, this is the account of Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, the one who the prophets of old told us would come. So he quotes, he actually quotes two different prophets, but he only names one of them. He names Isaiah, but he actually is also quoting Malachi, and he even references back all the way to Exodus when Moses says, there's going to be one like me who comes after me, he's going to be greater. And he goes back and he references these, and he's telling us, his, his audience That Jesus is the fulfillment of the things that we've been waiting for. Jesus is the one we've been looking for. And he quotes this out, that Jesus is the one who John prepared the way for. And he says of John the Baptist, he quotes him, he says, He's the voice of the one calling in the desert. The one who offers baptism of repentance, calling people to repent of their sin and seek God's forgiveness. And Mark quotes John only once, at a couple times in the entire gospel, and he, this is what he says of John the Baptist in verse eight or verse seven. If you have it, verse seven and verse eight, he says this, and this was his message speaking of John the Baptist. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Well, there was a saying. The reason he's saying that is because. Because the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law would say, A student is responsible to do all things that the teacher calls them to do, except untie their shoes. They're better than that. You, you, your, your student has to do everything you tell them, but if you say, Hey, come untie my shoe, that is an embarrassment to them. You're not allowed to you're not allowed to belittle them in that way. And John says, compared to Jesus, I am not even worthy to be belittled by him by coming and untying his shoes. He's saying I do not deserve any recognition compared to the one who comes after me because he's so great, he's so powerful, I can't even untie his shoes. He says this in verse 8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately after, and immediately is a word that you will see consistently in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, he says it 41 times. He says immediately, 41 times in his gospel. And in fact, when when translators were interpreting his scripture, they kept saying immediately and immediately, and they thought thought to themselves, people are going to get tired of reading this. So they tried to put in synonyms for immediately. So they'll say uh, right away, or they'll say say, without delay. It's still the word immediately. It's something powerful about the immediate response uh, Mark calls us to in relation to Jesus. There should be an immediate, you'll see it, you'll pick it up as we go through the gospel account of Mark, but but Mark announces after that announcement that John says one comes after me. He says that immediately Jesus shows up on the scene and is baptized by John. And what's the early church had a struggle with this idea: why was Jesus being baptized by John, who was giving a baptism of repentance? If Jesus lived a sinless life, he had nothing to repent over. But Jesus, the water wasn't cleansing Jesus. The water wasn't making Jesus holy. No, Jesus came to make the water holy. Jesus came to cleanse the water. Jesus came to give us an example of saying, if you'll follow this example, you'll demonstrate to the world you belong to me. Jesus did that quite a bit in life. He set the example of what he wanted us to follow. So it wasn't that Jesus needed to be cleansed. He came to show us, this is how you follow me. This is what it looks like to be one of my followers. And what's powerful about this story, the way that Mark writes it, is that he says after Jesus came up out of the water, it says that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended. The actual translation is into him, not just on him. It, the, the Holy Spirit didn't just rest on him. It invaded him. It came into him. Just like when we asked the Holy Spirit to come into our life, when we asked Jesus to come into our life, he invades our hearts and an invitation, and He dwells within us. And the voice from heaven saying, in verse 11, says this, a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And the illustration that Mark says when heavens, the heavens were opened, the terminology he uses actually, the heavens were ripped in two. Mark's, or Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, says that the heavens were opened. But but the word that Mark uses is so much more dramatic. Because what has been opened can also be closed. Doors that are open can also be closed. Windows that are open can also be closed. but, uh, but, uh, But something that has been torn is not easily closed again. And he's saying, because Jesus has showed up on the scene, the earth will no longer be the same. Because heaven, the, the heavens have been torn open by what Jesus has done for us, they can no longer be shut because heaven has come down to earth. And heaven dwells among us in the spirit of Jesus. And then it's a reference to the reminder of what happens at the cross when it says the curtains that separated the holy place from the holy of holies were torn in two, signifying that we now have direct access to the Father. The tearing of the heavens and the tearing of the curtains are all because of what Jesus did breaking in to our lives, breaking into our world. Mark uses these dramatic phrases to demonstrate the power and the fact that Jesus has now came and everything has changed. Everything has changed. This is the main focus of the first half of Mark's gospel. He wants us to know who Jesus is. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. He wants us to recognize that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ, the Redeemer, of our life. He's our only hope. He is the one we need to put our hope into. He's the one we need to declare our faith in. And you'll notice in Mark's Gospel that you don't get all the details of, of what the other Gospels give us. Because it says, again, immediately after he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the enemy. But we don't get the temptations. You have to look for Matthew, you have to look for Luke to understand what the the enemy was doing and and the way he was testing and trying Jesus. But Mark doesn't give us all that information. This is why he does that is because he's just trying to cut to the chase. He's trying to let us know there's something here that if you will hold on to it, it will shake you to your core. It will rock your foundation. It'll move you from one place to another. You need to know this good news. You need to know this person who Jesus is. So there are details and there are messages you can preach from those things. But Mark is not concerned so much about that. He's more concerned about what Jesus has come to do. What Jesus came to do on the earth. And this is the first message that we hear in Mark's gospel of what Jesus says to us. Starting in verse 15. Chapter 1, verse 15, it says, This is Christ speaking. He says, The time has come. The time has come. The hour is now. The time has come, he said, The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. This is our response. This is our response to knowing who Jesus is. If we can see who Jesus is, if we know him for his fullness, then our call is to believe, repent, and believe. What does what it to mean to repent? It means to turn away from what we are currently doing and turn towards Jesus. Turn towards God. That means to turn away from self, turn away from sin, turn away from the things that have been clogging our minds and filling our hearts and everything that seeks to draw our attention and, and t- hold us captive. And he says, no, now turn towards me and believe. And this is the, the, the call for all of us. The time has come. This is what we've been waiting for. The moment that we've been looking for. Jesus has now shown up. And Jesus has come to set all things right. He's come to set us free. He's come to give us hope. He's come to give us life and a future. He's come to establish His kingdom on earth. And Mark's response for us says we should we should respond immediately to Him. Don't delay. Don't miss out. Don't put it off. When the Son of God calls you, respond to Him now. I think it's so interesting the fact that we think we can sit in the presence of God and not respond when we feel Him move on our hearts. How dare we? Who do we think we are when the presence of God comes to to dwell with you, to be with us, and we think, no, not today, not right now. Man, God, would you forgive us of having such an attitude to think that we can push off the most important person, the most important creator, the, the, the king of the universe, and we can say, not, not today, not right now. No, Mark says, respond now. Respond immediately. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't waste time. The time is now. And we see this when Jesus begins to call his disciples. When he calls Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they're casting nets into the lake and they're fishing and Jesus walks up. This is how Mark puts it. He just walks up and says, hey, follow me. And they're like, okay. (laughs) They just drop their nets, he says, and they follow him. That's crazy. And then you see in verse 18, he does it again. It says, at once they left their nets and followed him. And in verse 20, James and John, the who who Jesus calls the sons of thunder because they were loud and crazy. He, he, He calls them. They're in the boat with their dad, and they're hired workers. And he walks up. He's like, hey, follow me. They're like, all right, see you, Dad. You figure it out. What does that tell us? It tells us that there is a cost to follow Jesus. These men weren't just twiddling their thumbs, saying, like, man, I wish I had something to do today. No, they were busy working. They even... James and John had hired people. That means they were bosses. They had people that they were over. And they left their dad in the boat and the workers in the boat. Dad, I don't know if I would ever do that to you. I might. We work together. (laughs) He's like, uh, we'll talk later. But he just, there's a cost involved. They have to walk away from something to follow Jesus. And sometimes we think that we can just follow Jesus and walk in and be like, I can do whatever I want. I can have my cake and eat it too. I can live my life and have Jesus on the side. I don't have to give up anything. No, there is a cost to follow him. It is going to cost you something, but it is worth everything. It is worth everything. And there's a sense of urgency He doesn't want us to miss it. He doesn't want us to keep playing these games. Because this is not a game. This is life and death. This is the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. And we're at war. We're at war. And if you're not fighting in the war, you're losing already. You're already losing if you don't know that there's an enemy out there who is fighting against you. And the enemy is so good. He He was good in that moment to lie about the importance of a moment, and he still does it now. He tries to get you to think that the moment that you're in right now is not crucial, it's not important. You can wait. You can push it off, maybe not, maybe tomorrow, maybe not right now, it's not, it's not really convenient for me, it's not really comfortable for me. I, I really don't need to respond right now. I, I'm not, you know, I would love to come up and pray, but I'm not wearing the right shoes, you know. I, I, I would love to come and bow, but I, I just don't have the right clothes on. Maybe I, I just don't feel the things that I should feel right now, so I won't respond right now. And the enemy continues to lie to you that the power, there's no significance in the power of a moment, and Mark would say, no, it is now that is crucial. It is today that is important. It is this time, this hour, that you need to respond to Jesus. Don't wait. Don't delay. There is, a, there is significance in every moment of your life. And the enemy would hope for you to waste it. But Mark shakes us up, slaps us around and says, wake up, let's get to work. Let's recognize that you're in a battle. And the enemy is not sitting around waiting. He's like, well, I just hope they kind of get a little tired. Then I'll come in and I'll do something. He's always on the verge looking for opportunities to attack you. Always looking for ways to get into your marriage and weasel his way in to bring division and separation. He's always looking for opportunities to come and attack your babies so that he can win them over and so that you would be driven away from them and they would be driven away from God. He's always looking for opportunities. Mark is saying, wake up recognize you're in a war and the enemy has a plan, but do you? He's actively trying to destroy people's lives and bring chaos. What are you going to do about it? This is what Mark tells us, though. The good news is that there is Jesus who has power and authority over the devil, over the enemy, over the evil one. So you don't have to fear. You don't have to fret. You don't have to carry worry and anxiety because Jesus is on the scene. Mark points out that verse 22 that when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue and the people were hearing what he was saying, they were amazed at his teaching. It says because he taught with authority and not like the teachers of the law. What does that mean? That means that when the teachers of the law would teach, they were always quoting somebody else. They were always quoting another teacher who had taught them, and a teacher who had taught them who had taught them. But when Jesus showed up, he says, It's written, and now I tell you. Because he had the authority to speak on the word, because he is the word of God. And he was speaking with such, with such conviction, such power, such authority, the people heard it and were amazed. Who is this that speaks with such authority? The Pharisees would even say, Where does your authority come from? Who was your teacher? Who was the one over you? How did you learn all of these things? Because they recognized the power and authority in Jesus. And right after that, they witnessed it. It says after the statement in verse 22, 23, it says, and there was a a demon-possessed man that cries out in the synagogue. And he begins to cry out to Jesus. Verse 24 says this, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Have you come to destroy us? Can I I tell you? The answer is yes. He has come to destroy the works of the enemy over your life and over my life. It's why he came, to set things right, to kick the devil in the teeth and tell him, you no longer can have power over these people. He has come. The devil says, the the demons filling this person says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. James says that, it's not enough to say that you believe in God. Even demons know who God is, and they tremble. What's more important is that you know how to have a relationship with Jesus, that you submit your life to Jesus, that you say, I put my hope and trust in Jesus, and he's my Savior, and I follow him. Where he goes, I follow. What he says, I obey. It's not so much to say, oh, I go to church, I believe in God. Man, so do demons. The demon was in the synagogue, too. He went to church. And then he met Jesus and got slapped in the face. It says that Jesus told the demon to shut his mouth. Commands him to get out. And in that moment it says the demon came out with a shriek. Screaming. Because Jesus had encountered the demonic spirit. And the people were amazed at his teaching and his authority. Mark is telling us Jesus has the power over the devil. And he has the authority. He wants to remind us that. We're in a war, and the winning side is on Jesus' side. And he would question us and say, are you on the side of Jesus, or are you on the losing side? There's only there's two sides to this. There's not the devil's side, Jesus' side, and I'm neutral in the middle. You can never be Switzerland. You can't say, well, we choose not to pick a side on this one. We're just going to live our happy lives. You leave us alone. You don't convict me of my sin. You don't you know, get me in too much trouble, and I'll just be here in the middle. You can't do it. There's two sides, Jesus or the losing side. And Mark says, wake up, repent, and believe. Not only does Mark want us to know who Jesus is, he wants us to know what kind of response we should have to him. And that our response will also help others respond to Jesus. The way that we respond to Christ can also open up opportunities for people to respond to him. I think that's very clear when we look at when, how, did, how did you come to know Jesus? Was it not by someone else who was also following Jesus, inviting you to also see? Like the scriptures say, come and see that the Lord is good. Come and see who Jesus is. Luke talks about that when Jesus begins to call the disciples and Philip and says, Who is this? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And he says, Come and see. Come and see how good he is. We know Jesus because someone invited us to come and see. And Mark wants to point out that our response, we should respond immediately to Jesus and then we should bring others to him so that they could also see how good Jesus is. He demonstrates in this next story that, about Jesus healing many people. And it starts with Simon Peter's mother. It says that she's sick with a fever in bed in verse 30. And it tells us that these disciples, again, using this word, immediately, when they saw a need, they ran to Jesus. This should be a highlight for us as believers. That when we see needs, we run straight to Jesus. What are we doing when we hear about a need? And we just think, well, God, I hope you do something. Oh, I, I hope they, you know... James says, if you see someone who's naked and hungry and you say, well, be blessed, hopefully that'll work out for you. He says that we're living in sin. But unless we see a need and meet the need, then then we are followers of Jesus. And they saw a need. She was sick and they knew exactly to go to the one who had the answer. Said, Jesus, Simon Peter's mama, she's sick. She can't make you the stew that you love. She's in bed. She's sick with a fever. And it says immediately Jesus went in and healed her. In that moment, no delay, there was no hesitation. And shortly after that, we read Mark saying that the whole town gathered at her door to be healed and set free by Jesus. So their act to meet her need awakened the entire town, awakened the entire town to come and pursue Jesus for themselves. Your your response to Jesus, your immediate response to who He is and what He can do can awaken others to respond to Him too. People who are needing a touch and they see, wow, there's something different in you. The anxiety and the worry you had before, I don't see it now. The strife in your marriage and the turmoil in your relationship, you have peace now. How? I've got junk too. Where can I go to unload this burden? And you can tell them, come and see the Jesus who sets all things right again. Immediately, our response should be to him. Because our response can bring freedom for others also. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't wait for your healing. Don't wait for your freedom from sin. This is something that faith tells me all the time. Is she in here? Just making sure. (laughs) She always says this, and she doesn't know that she's actually quoting Mark, but she'll tell me this. Because my personality type I love, I'm kind of king of procrastination. I really am. I'm like, I, I, I love it when it's the last minute. I'm like, oh, now it's time to get serious, you know. But she'll tell me this, and she says it quite often, and she's my encouragement. And she helps me, and she does it in a, in a right way that inspires me. But she says this way, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. She'll tell me all the time, don't, don't put off tomorrow what you can do today, babe. I'm like, you're right. That's how I get things in life. That's how I get things done in life. She helps me. But that's Mark's message to us today. Don't put off tomorrow. What you can do today. Don't put off your healing for tomorrow when you can have it today. Don't put off your freedom from sin tomorrow when you can have it today. Why are you waiting? Don't hesitate. You can have it now in the name of Jesus. This is his theme for us in relation to the kingdom of God. Jesus has come. What do you think he came for? How are you going to respond to him? Verse verse 40, and I know we're moving through the chapter quickly, but I want to, again, give you just a a synopsis, an overview. Verse 40 says that Jesus was healing a leper, and he came to bring healing and freedom and establish his kingdom. So Mark uses this word that Jesus was indignant. Matthew, Luke, they clean it up. They say Jesus was moved with compassion. That sounds so much nicer. But I think I like Mark's interpretation better. It it, it demonstrates that that Jesus was kind of like when the leper came to him and the leper said, if you're willing, if you're willing. And Jesus was like, if I'm willing. Why do you think I came? If I'm willing. If I'm willing, I'm here to set you free. I'm here to heal your body. If I'm willing, of course, I'm willing. Of course, that's why I'm here. To bring freedom to your life. So that you don't have to be bound by sin anymore. That shame doesn't have to be over your bed when you wake up every morning. That you don't have to be bound anymore. Of course I'm willing. And sometimes we go to Christ and we think, you won't free me of this disease. Or you won't heal my body. Or or, I'm still in this cycle of sin. And it's because I keep going back to it that you're no longer going to set me free from it. And Jesus says, no, I came to set you free. I came to heal your body. I came. Of course, I'm willing. And he looks at us and says, "It's like this desire, this this indignant response. Like, yes, what do you mean? Of course. It's like your baby's coming to you. Your kids coming to you. Do you think I could eat food today? Yes. What do you mean? You think I got all that food in the fridge just so I can look at it? Get something to eat. It's crazy." Dad, you think I can take a shower today? You need to! Get in the shower! You think we got a shower just so we can hang clothes in it? No! It's for us to get clean. So of course, Jesus is like, of course I'm here to bring healing to you. Maybe that's what the other gospels were trying to get at because of such the, the drive of his compassion that brought him out of heaven to earth is what brings us into his presence. And it's his, his compassionate heart that drives us. But he's like, of course, yes, yes, I want to heal. Yes, I want to restore. Yes, I want to do these things. So if you're, if you're sitting here and saying, God won't heal me because it's what I deserve, no. The gospel is the fact that we don't get what we deserve. I deserve the worst, but yet he gives me the best. I deserve death, but yet he gives me life. I deserve chains, yet he breaks them because of his goodness and his love that's the gospel so how dare you say i just got to get what i deserve i i made my bed now i gotta lie in it i don't even understand that statement jesus say no i came to give you what you don't deserve and jesus died a death that he did not deserve for us know that jesus is willing because that's why he came To destroy the works of the enemy over your life and over this world. And to set things right. So our response, what Mark is going to be teaching us throughout this entire gospel as we dive into, into his writing. Is to let us know that we need to not delay when Jesus calls us. Come to him now. He is here now. And wants you to respond to him. Wants you to respond to him. So who do you say that Jesus is, and what are you going to do about it? Who is Jesus, and what will that cause you? To, how will that cause you to live differently based on your understanding of who Jesus is? Mark, he's working us towards something this morning and throughout the gospel that the revelation of who Jesus is should drive us towards something. What is your revelation of Jesus driving you towards? Is it driving you towards others or away from them? Is it driving you towards forgiveness or towards guilt and shame? Is it driving you towards service or selfishness? Is it driving you towards sacrifice or towards comfort? Something should be stirred in us because Jesus has come to the earth now. And the earth and the heavens have been torn open as Jesus descended onto earth. The statement is here. That what you say about Jesus and who Jesus is, is the most important statement of your life. What you think about God and what you think about who Jesus is, is the most important thought that you can have. Because if you can understand who Jesus is, it will radically transform your everyday. Everyday. So this is our challenge through the Gospel of Mark. This, this understanding that there needs to be immediate response to who Jesus is. That Jesus is not just something we sit down with and play patty cake with and get up and walk away from and think, I feel better now. I got goosebumps. I felt something. Now we go back into living comfortable lives. No, church, this is a call for response. This is a call to action. This is a call to let things go so we can follow Him.